We've been talking about Jesus as our shepherd. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to John chapter 10. We're actually in the midst of a series in John's Gospel looking to get to know Jesus better, examining phrases, places where Jesus here in this Gospel says, I am, and then describes Himself. And last week here in John chapter 10, we were in the first ten verses where Jesus was talking about shepherds and sheep. He was described Himself there as the door or the gate to the sheep. He contrasted Himself as He is the true shepherd with the false shepherds of Israel, the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus said He is the door, the gate for the sheep. He's the door that we as the sheep need. He's the door to salvation, to eternal life. He's the door to freedom and rest. He is the door to abundant and full life. And He's the only door. There is no other way. That was in the first ten verses. As we come here today to John chapter 10 and verse 11, we find another one of Jesus' I am statements. And Jesus says here, He says, I am the good shepherd. And this morning we're going to look in the next, from verses 11 to 21, and discover here five reasons why Jesus is the good shepherd. And you see, the the issue is that for you and me, sometimes we hear Jesus is the shepherd. And as the sheep, we should follow the shepherd, but... The question that, well, we grew up asking is why? Every time mom and dad would say something, our question is why? And their parents would often say, because I said so. And we hated that until we became parents. Then our kids asked us why, and we said, because I said so. (laughs) Fortunately, God doesn't always just say, because I said so. Sometimes He does. Sometimes He tells us why. In these verses before us today, we learn Jesus is the Good Shepherd and we'll see why. As we see why, it is my prayer that we will follow Him as the Good Shepherd. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Verse 11. Let me just read these first three verses. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and then leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd because he is a devoted shepherd. Jesus is a devoted shepherd And he contrasts himself as the owner of the sheep versus the hired hand. A hired hand may be dependable, but he will tend to shepherd as if it's just a job. There's a difference when you own something and when you don't. Janet and I have been privileged over the years to have a rental property and One thing that we've noticed is that there's typically a big difference between how an owner treats property and how a renter treats property. Some of you guys get that and some of you, you know what it is to have a, uh, if you have a house that you own, you really usually don't like it when the next door turns into a rental. 
Because it's never kept up as good as if the person owns it. So it is. We know how it is with rental cars. Our car, many of us, we tend to baby our car because it's our car. But if it's a rental car, you know, you slam the door a little harder, you drive it a little faster, a little harder, you really don't, it's the rental car. <laughs> you see, we get that. We get that if you own a business, the owner of the business has a lot more at stake and cares a lot more for the customers than just the employee. And that's the point Jesus is making here. He says, the owner of the sheep is different than the hireling, it says in the King James. I remember I grew up thinking hireling must be like a thief or robber or something. I didn't understand. Hireling is a hired hand. Hired hand. The, the guy who's just doing this for a job. Jesus says when, the, when he's out there tending the sheep and the wolf comes, the hired hand says, I'm only getting nine bucks an hour. I'm, I'm out of here. You know? But the owner of the sheep defends the sheep. He says he lays down his life. He puts himself between the sheep because and, and the wolf because he cares for the sheep. The hired hand is just doing a job. Jesus wants us to know that, again, we're the sheep. He's not just the hired hand. He's the owner. Some of us think, you know, I really don't want to be owned by anybody. I want to be free. And Jesus is saying, no, you really want to be owned. Because <laughs> if I own you, I take care of you. Does Jesus own us as His sheep? Well, Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. I think Pastor Aaron read that this morning as a call to worship. We are His because He made us. We can find other reasons why we are His. We are His. We are Jesus' sheep because God the Father gave us the sheep to the shepherd Jesus. You see that down in, later in chapter 10, down in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me. We have been given to Jesus as His property, but that's not all. We find as well the Scripture says that, that Jesus has purchased us with His own blood. First Peter chapter 1, it was not with silver and gold that we have been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, the spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ. See the same thing in Revelation, the great scene that begins to unfold in chapter 4 and into chapter 5 in heaven. And, and there there's the concern over who's going to open up the scroll, who is worthy to unroll the scroll and, or to open it. And the Lamb comes. They say, you are worthy, O Lord, because you have redeemed with your own blood men from every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus bought us. And so we are His because He made us, because we've been given to Him by the Father and we have been bought by His blood. That's a good thing because what it means is that He is invested in us. That ownership shows up again in verse 14 where He says here, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. He claims us. I always just find that fascinating, by the way. He claims us. 
If I were him, I would have written me off a long time ago. No, Spa. <laughs> he owns us. And that means that we can be confident that because He is the owner and He is invested in us, He will protect us. As He says here, He will lay down His life for the sheep. He will die for the sheep. The hired hand loves his life more than he loves the sheep, but Jesus loves His sheep more than He loves His life. And practically what that means, there's a very valuable lesson here, practically what that means is that you and I can trust Him. And I wonder, have you ever in your life struggled to trust Jesus? And by that I don't mean to believe that He is the Son of God. To believe that He came and He died on the cross for your sins. To believe all the the facts. But have you ever really struggled to trust Jesus? When the Bible calls for you and me to love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, do you struggle with that? When it says that to, to follow Him and to trust Him, to give up our life to Him, do you ever find that difficult? To give Him your full obedience to trust Him with your desires, to trust Him with your ambitions, to trust Him with your plans, to trust Him with your relationships, to trust Him with your future. Do you sometimes find that difficult? Because I do sometimes. I think we all do. But He wants to assure us here that He's the Good Shepherd And He's the shepherd who is so devoted to us, so invested to us, He didn't theoretically, I'm willing to lay down His life for the sheep. He, now we look back, He has done it. We just celebrated that this morning. If Jesus would die for us, and since He has died for us, certainly He will not abandon us. He will never hurt us or withhold anything good from us. Anything truly good. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 32, speaking of God the Father, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? We have a good shepherd we can trust. Because He's a devoted shepherd. But Jesus is the good shepherd not just because He's the devoted shepherd. but He is also, in verse 15, we'll see, He's a personal shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't know how it is in your house, but most of the mail that I get at my house is either addressed to occupant or resident, or it might as well be. You know, it it may have my name on it, Keith Spa, but it wasn't, it wasn't addressed and written by somebody who knows me and cares anything about me. It was written by a computer who knows me as a number that was programmed by somebody who wants me as a customer. (laughs) 
that's my mail. I come to my phone. The most frequent caller on my phone is Rachel. I call her my girlfriend. Rachel is a recorded voice from card member services. (laughs) Just about every day I get a call from Rachel. (laughs) I find it ironic when I listen to my voicemail and there's a robocall on my voicemail. I think they deserve each other. Social media allows you and me to, to connect with all kinds of people. We can follow and friend and then receive multiple daily communications from scores of celebrities and experts and this person and that person. People who, for the most part, don't even know that you and I exist. We spend our time keeping up with all of these people and manage to ignore the people that are actually in the room with us because we're all too busy talking and texting and playing and surfing on our cell phones. But it's not that way with Jesus. He's a personal shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. With Jesus, you and I are not just another number on His list of people that receive His tweets. Jesus knows us. He knows our needs. He knows our desires. He knows our fears. He knows our failings. He even back in Matthew chapter 10, He says that God knows the numbers, the very numbers, the hairs on our head which changes constantly as they keep falling out. And He knows them. In the early 1900s, King Edward, King of England, was visiting a city to lay a foundation for a hospital. They had gathered thousands of children to greet the king and to sing for him. And after the ceremony, the king walked past all these excited school children After he was gone, the teacher looked and saw this little girl crying over in the corner. And she went up. She said, what happened, honey? She said, did you not get to see the king? She said, well, I saw the king, but he didn't see me. It's not that way with Jesus. We are never overlooked by the Good Shepherd. He gives us personal, individual attention. We saw last week back in these first verses here in chapter 10, that He calls each one by name. He knows who we are and He knows, as I said, all of these, everything about us. But it's not just that He knows information about us. It's not that He can just rattle off all the stats about you and me. He knows us intimately and personally. In verse 15, you'll notice it says that He knows His own and His own know Him as the Father knows Me and as I know the Father. You see, we get to understand a little bit about what He means when He says, I know My own and My own know Me because He he describes it in terms of His relationship with the Father. And when we think about that, we have God the Father and we have God the Son. 
And yet God the Father and God the Son, while they are distinct and while they are separate, they are yet one and they are the same. Part of that mystery that we will never understand, it defies and boggles our minds that God is Father and Son and Spirit, three in one. And while we can't understand it, what Jesus is saying, as intimately connected and as intimately relationally, my Father and I exist, so it is, He says, I know you. And I desire that you know me. He desires intimate relationship with you and me. And so it is that this word here used for knowledge is a word that's more than intellectual knowledge. It's a word of intimate relationship. He's a personal shepherd. And again, going back to we can trust their shepherd because he's devoted. We can also trust our shepherd because he knows. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He knows better than you know what will meet your needs, what will fulfill you, what will make you happy. He knows you. We can trust Him. Jesus is the good shepherd, not only because He's a devoted shepherd, He's a personal shepherd, but He is an attractive shepherd. You say, where do you get that, Pastor? Well, Jesus said in, in verse 11, He says it again in verse 14, He says, I am the good shepherd. In Greek, and I'm no Greek expert, but in Greek there are two words for good. There's agathos and there is kalos. Agathos means moral goodness. Pure, it's holy, it's right. Kalos, which is the word that's used here, means beautiful, excellent, attractive, genuine. Jesus is morally good. He is also beautifully, attractive, genuinely, excellently good. That stands in stark contrast to the Pharisees. The Pharisees made much of their external goodness. They were the holy men of Israel who wore all the robes and did all the stuff that set them apart as holy and they went through all the cleansing and all the ceremonies and kept all the rules tithing, as Jesus said, their very spices out of their garden. You know, I collected ten bay leaves, so I tithe one. You know, And they went through all of this stuff and yet, as someone once wrote, he said, it's possible to be morally upright repulsively. And such were these religious leaders. But Jesus drew so many to Him because He was a good shepherd. And a good shepherd... You see, true goodness is attractive. It is not aloof. It is not standoffish. True goodness was attractive, beautiful. See, if we truly follow our shepherd's examples, if we are really a Jesus follower, we won't be morally good in a repulsive way. We will be genuinely good in a very attractive way. 
Because what will show is the genuine character of the true shepherd who is gracious and kind and loving and gentle and tender. Who is the servant. It spills out in selfless love for others. It shows up in compassion and kindness and good works. Jesus is the good shepherd Verse 16, because He is the global shepherd. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to My voice, so that they will be one flock, one shepherd. We saw last week in the first verses as Jesus began this analogy and this word picture of the shepherd and the sheep that the sheep in the fold were the people of Israel and Jesus was calling out people out of the sheepfold, the sheep pen of Israel to be believers, to be followers of His. And now Jesus says, I have sheep in other folds. Sheep who are not of this fold. Jesus is a shepherd for all peoples. He is, by the way, the shepherd for all peoples, but not for all people. There's a difference. Not every person will be saved. But heaven will be filled with people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. This text is one of the great missionary passages in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospels, Jesus says, I have other sheep from other folds. I must bring them also. He says, they will listen to My voice. In contrast to many of the Jews who were refusing Jesus. And again, this is, this is blowing the minds of these Jews because most of them thought the, the very fact that we were born Jews, we are saved. We are God's people. We are chosen people and therefore we're saved. And yet we saw last week and we've seen other times through this, this study, we've seen that just because you're born an Israelite doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you're born of a descendant of Abraham, you are not a spiritual and a true descendant of Abraham. And Jesus is saying here that they're not only folks from the fold of Israel that are going to be my sheep, but from other folds. And they, unlike many of the Jews, they will listen. I have other sheep. And we'll see then again, he goes on and he says, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. There will be no divisions among them. No second class, second tier in heaven. The flock of Jesus Christ is not divided by race or by language or by class or by nationality. We are one flock. We are brothers and sisters with those in the Philippines and those in Greece and those in Central America and those in Africa and Europe. We are one flock regardless of the color of our skin. We are one flock regardless of the languages that we speak. We are one flock in Jesus Christ. There are two important applications from this little section. That He is 
a global shepherd, a shepherd for people. He is the Savior for anyone. By the way, Jesus all the way through this Gospel, we have kept seeing Jesus saying, anyone who will believe in Me, anyone who will trust in Me, He will save. Two applications for us to get from this. The first is the fact that there is one flock. There is a flock. And you are a part of it and I am a part of it. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are part of the flock and it's important that we be connected to the flock. Jesus did not create us. He did not call us to be loners, to be those Lone Ranger Christians, to be out there on our own. He called us to be part of a flock, part of a family, part of His church, part of His body. The Scripture uses a lot of different analogies and pictures to help us get this concept that we are one group. His flock. We are to be connected as a body. We need each other. Each part needs the other. And so the writer of Hebrews said, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit or the custom of some. We are to come together He says, for the purpose, he goes on in there in Hebrews, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And we're to be doing it all the more as we see the day approaching. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more we need the family of God, the body of Christ, the church, the flock. I need you and you need me. We need to be together. So I'm glad you're here this morning. I need you. But there's another important application You see, Jesus says, I have sheep in other folds. I must bring them also and they will listen to My voice. And we think about it. When did Jesus go to the other folds? Very shortly after this, He will be hanging on a cross. Forty days later, He will ascend to heaven. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit comes. How does Jesus reach the sheep in the other folds? Well, just before He left, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be My witnesses. We are His witnesses. We are His mouthpiece. We are His, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, His ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, which He is doing. Now, there's some really encouraging thing here because, you see, most of us, if I tell you, you are Jesus' mouthpiece, you are His ambassador to go to the other, fo- the other folds, the other sheep pens, as it were, of the world, and call out His sheep, most of you go, Pastor, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, we're like Moses. I have a stumbling tongue. I can't talk. And, But did you see what he said there? He says, go back. I have sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to... What does it say? Your voice? They will listen to 
What does it say in your text? Do you have it there in front of you? My voice. See, it really is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. It's as if he were making his appeal through us. He is. When you and I go out as Jesus' sheep, and we go out to do the work He has told us to do and empowered us to do through His Spirit, and we speak, you know what they hear? Jesus' voice. Not ours. You see, we can go out with the confidence that He says, they will listen. Not that every person in the world will come, but He says, I have sheep in other folds. Our job is to call them out and they come out. So you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be a preacher by trade. It's better that you're not. Yes, we know the Word of God. We learn the Word of God. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. And we go out and we just share Jesus with people. And Jesus says, I'll call people. My sheep will follow. They'll come. Huh. Interesting. You know what that means, by the way? It means that we need to go to the world. We need to be busy when you're at school, when you're at work, when you're in the hood, when you're at the gas station, wherever you are. We need to be talking to people about Jesus. And He says, they'll hear His voice. And they'll come. Lastly, fifthly, Jesus is the good shepherd because He is a willing sacrifice. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves Me because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from My Father. As we remember the death of Christ here at the table as we partook of these things, we do not come here to remember Jesus as a victim. Jesus was not a victim. Nobody took Jesus' life from Him. That's what He's saying here. He said it here twice in these two verses. He said it back up in verse 11. I'm the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay down My life for the sheep. Four times in this passage He says, I lay it down. Nobody took it from Him. Not Judas. Not the soldiers that arrested Him in the garden. Not the high priest. Not the false witnesses that accused Him. Not the crowd who cried, crucify Him. Not Herod and Pilate. Nor the soldiers who even nailed Him to the cross. They did not take His life from Him. Jesus on the cross, it says, gave up. He yielded up His Spirit. He gave His life. He was not a victim. And He shows here why He did it. Jesus didn't just die. It says, I lay down My life for the sheep. He did it for us out of love for us. 1840s, George Briggs was governor over Massachusetts. Some friends of his visited the Holy Land and they climbed up the hill of Golgotha. There they acquired a stick that 
was carved beautifully into a walking stick and they brought it back as a president to Governor Biggs. When they presented it to him, they said, we thought about you while we were on Golgotha and we thought you'd appreciate this. He took it very graciously and said, I do appreciate this. But I am much more grateful that there was someone long before you who thought of me on Golgotha. And so it was. When Jesus died on the cross, the Good Shepherd was thinking of you. I think as infinite God, He was thinking of you quite specifically on the cross. Verse 20, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to Him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. And can a demon open the eyes of the blind? He recalled it in the conversation of the events. Same afternoon, same day, just earlier in the day, He had healed a man who was born blind. Just this. These claims of Jesus... forced a decision, a controversy. You have to do something with Jesus. The religious leaders who are listening to this, they, they are rejecting Jesus. The people can't decide what to make of Jesus. They hear the message and they recognize that this man is either God or else he is from Satan or just crazy. And Jesus claims as they did then, they still require a response from every person who hears of Him today. You either have to write Him off as a liar or a fraud or a crazy man. You have to trust Him as God Himself who came to save us. Follow Him as our Good Shepherd. And so as Jesus speaks to us from this page and He calls Himself the Good Shepherd, He really forces you to make a decision. You can't sit on the fence. You either need to trust Him as your Savior or reject Him as crazy, a fraud. Trust Him as your Savior. It's what He asks you to do. And embrace Him and follow Him as your shepherd. Father, we confess we often struggle here. There may be someone here who has never heard before of Your great love for them. that You loved us so much You sent Jesus to be a Savior. They may need to place their faith and trust in You today. I encourage or I ask, Lord, that You would speak to their heart and draw them to You. May they even in these moments trust You as their Savior. But Father, I recognize that most of us here know You as our Savior. We can go down the list and say, well, we believe all of these things are true. We know that Jesus is God. He is <laughs> He's the, inc- the incarnate living God who came to die on the cross for our sins. And we can agree with all the facts. And yet we confess that we struggle with trusting You 
and following you as our shepherd. Lord, may we have seen this morning that you are the good shepherd who is worthy of all of our love, worthy of all of our devotion. As you are trustworthy, we can trust you with our life and our desires and our needs and our concerns. And we, Father, have a mission to go out and follow our shepherd and take the message to those who need to hear. So Lord, may that describe who we are. Followers of the shepherd. This we ask in His name. Amen.